0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me today. The phone number is 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Uh, Just real quick, and I I don't want to single the individual out. Um, I, I I got an email during break from a listener of the program who was offended I hadn't responded to him about a prior email he sent on a college recommendation for my daughter. Uh, And I've I've emailed with the person in the past, but I didn't see the email. Um, I get, and I'm not making this up, I promise I'm not making this up. I get over 2,000 emails a day, and that's not spam. When you include spam, I get upwards of 13,000 emails a day from multiple email accounts. Uh, I have in my inbox right now uh, 292 unread emails that have come through since the show started. When I had all my emails read, I now have 292 unread emails and I have 72,000 that seventy-seven thousand sixty in my spam folder, uh, and I'm very sorry if I can't reply to all of your emails. I, I try to reply to everybody, and there are days I cannot keep up, and this is one of those days. Uh, and and I'm sure I've run into others, and I I'm I, I always feel bad when someone gets their feelings hurt cause I haven't responded to their emails. I, I try to interact with the audience as best I can and get feedback. But I, y'all, I literally get 2000 like real non spam emails on a daily basis. Uh, on average, some days more, some days less, but around 2000, it's really hard, uh, to res- to see all of them and keep up with them. And my assistant helps me and, and find stuff. And sometimes she may see an email and, and, uh, think it's, it's spam and the like. So I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, But uh, don't be mad at me. Try to try to show some grace, please. I guarantee you I get more emails than you. Um, uh, I I just in any event, um, I want to I want to change them. So the the great thing about me being me in in this show is, is I see stuff during commercial break. It's like, you know what? No one's talking about this. This needs to be talked about. So Charlie Munger can wait. There are two stories that are completely unrelated that I wanna talk about. One is about a white woman in Charlottesville, Virginia, who during a Black Lives Matter protest pulled up to an attendee and said they would make good speed bumps. Ziana Bryant, 19-year-old University of Virginia student and social justice activist, took to Twitter to single out this young woman in a truck approaching protesters in Charlottesville, telling them that they would make good speed bumps. She called the police and said the Black Lives Matter activists were attacking her. The... Claims by the Black Lives Matter activists were picked up by local journalists and amplified by them. Uh, They also found the name of the girl who did this, they singled out the girl. The Black Lives Matter activist, Ms. Bryant, said uh, the girl was Morgan Bettinger, a rising senior at the University of Georgia. She, an anonymous Twitter account, tweeted, Good morning, everyone, but Albemarle high grad, UVA student, and daughter of a cop, Morgan Elise Bettinger, who threatened protesters in Charlottesville last night by saying from her blue Subaru that we make good speed bumps. They also included a picture from Benninger's Facebook profile with a Blue Lives Matters profile frame. And then the mob came for Morgan Benninger. Absolutely disgusting, said the student council president, Ellen Yates. A junior at the university at the time, Carolyn Lane, said suddenly everyone knew about it. I had some friends who were back home who were messaging me about it because they knew I was in town. It was everywhere. Bryant, the Black Lives Matter activist, then began uh, to send mass complaints to school administrators demanding Ms. Bettinger's expulsion. Email these UVA deans now to demand that Morgan Bettinger face consequences for her actions and that University of Virginia stop graduating racists. She herself, Brian, filed a complaint with the University Judicial Committee, a student-run disciplinary system. The university released a statement saying it strongly condemned threats directed at other members of our community. We're aware of the allegations on social media about a student's conduct with respect to a protest in the city and are actively investigating the matter. And that inflamed it. If they knew about it, why weren't they doing something to stop it? The Student Judicial Council found Morgan Bedard guilty of threatening the health or safety of students. As punishment, according to Reason Magazine, she was expelled in abeyance, meaning she was allowed to continue her schooling, but that a second violation of the same standard would result in actual expulsion, and she faced a litany of other sanctions. She eventually graduated with a permanent mark on her record, and a destroyed reputation. And guess what? It was all made up. Bryant's claim that Bettinger said that the protesters would make good speed bumps had no corroborating witnesses, even though it allegedly occurred in front of a crowd. It was just the mob. The Black Lives Matter mob destroyed the reputation of this young woman. Now there's another story. This is the story of Jack Reed, a 17-year-old junior at an elite boarding school. A year ago, Jack Reed Chucked a Bible into his gym shorts, put a note in his pocket, and then killed himself. Jack had been accused of rape at the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey. Jack never raped anyone. The school is now being forthcoming about its screw-ups. You see, the New York Times also buries the lead. They say Jack was being bullied, and you got to go 21 paragraphs down to figure out what it was he was bullying about. Jack started in 10th grade in the fall of 2020. He made the dean's list. In the spring of 2021, a persistent and untrue rumor that Jack was a rapist spread through the student body and led to cruel comments from students. In September of 2021, he returned to school a junior, elected president of Dickinson House, one of the residential houses where the school's boarding students live. That increased the animosity among people who hated him. Days after the election, an unfounded rape accusation was posted anonymously to a nationwide student-run app. We don't know which app. They don't say. The bullying spread online during a secret Santa gift exchange among Lawrenceville classmates. He received a rape whistle and a book on how to make friends. The bullying continued. The rumors continued. And the school at Jack's insistence launched an inquiry. And they found Jack had done nothing wrong. They found the person who started the rumors and chose not to expel that student. They didn't even tell Jack or his family that they had conducted an investigation and found that the charges were bogus. And they couldn't get the online rumors deleted. And overwhelmed, he killed himself. The school acknowledged it had aired on the night Jack killed himself, just hours after the classmate involved in the bullying was formally expelled for other reasons. Instead of being supervised as he packed his belongings... The boy was permitted to participate in a drawn-out farewell that included a final run around campus and a group photograph. During the gathering, some students made harsh comments about Jack, inaccurately blaming him for the expulsion. School administrators did not notify or check on Jack. That night, Jack took his life, telling a friend he could not go through this again. Now, these stories are completely unrelated, except they have a common tie-in. Malicious people starting online rumors about kids in school destroying those kids. Morgan Bettinger graduated from the University of Virginia, tarred and feathered as a racist who threatened to run over Black Lives Matter activists and has had trouble finding employment and the like after graduating because the university did nothing. And this young man took his life because the school he went to did nothing when online harassment started. The parents, the whole reason the stories in the New York Times about this young man killing himself is because this school, as part of its settlement with the parents, had to publicly apologize and say what happened. They tried to keep it under wraps, and the parents insisted, insisted, that they speak publicly about how they screwed up. Good for the parents in this. But there's a lesson here for other parents, particularly, you know, I'm going through the the, uh, checking out colleges with my daughter. And one of my kids' hangups, honestly, in one of the schools she had wanted to go to was being my kid. And she ran into an incident a couple of weeks ago where uh, she was in an art competition and they thought she had cheated and she had not cheated and was able to show them she had not cheated. But someone who was there just assumed that she could get away with it because of her last name, it seems. People are getting cruel, generally. And the anonymity of the internet is allowing people to be more cruel, And you yourself, as your kids are heading off to college or to a boarding school or whatever, you probably need to start having conversations with your kids, one, so they're not the bully, and two, if they are the victim of the bullying, that they are proactive in addressing the bullying. Jack Reed finally had to be aggressive, and the school screwed up. But, y'all, you I, I'm learning more and more as my kids get older. You think there's a point where you can just stop advocating for your kids? They're old enough to be their own advocate. It Really, you can't. Through college, at least, you've still got to continue to uh, be an advocate for your child and sometimes force your kid to stand up for themselves in ways they otherwise don't want. Uh, the Internet has allowed this a, a anonymous cruelty to spread. And in particular, if your kids are not aligned with the values of the era, you got to be careful. I I, I can't tell you, though, the number of hostile people who lectured me about my kid um, being interested in Georgia Tech and and my alma mater, Mercer University, can't believe you're not sending her to Hillsdale College and why would you send her to a secular school and blah, blah, blah. These people are just as cruel as the others. Uh, The fact is my kid wants to be an engineer. She can't go to Hillsdale College. They don't have an engineering school. But also, but also, um, one reason that my kid is interested in my alma mater is it's not so insane like some schools, including Georgia Tech, which has a history of persecuting Christians on campus. Georgia Tech literally has a history of persecuting Christian students on campus, and uh, there are multiple lawsuits uh, along the way. But there is a level of anonymous cruelty out there right now online towards kids, and you as a parent should be very, very mindful of what's happening. If you are a school administrator who happens to be listening, uh, you yourself or your school should be listening and doing something because this particular school in New Jersey has paid a hefty price because it it refused to be proactive and let a bully for the longest time get away with it even though they knew who the bully was and it caused a kid to take his life. These are not easy times to raise kids, and the Internet makes it even worse. And so the response should be even more engagement from parents, administrators, and adults. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets. The highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness. 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference, and I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Brand sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something of substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot in the during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Bolin Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews right now. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlingBranch.com. That's BowlingBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details put may 22nd on your calendar if you're interested senator tim scott is going to make it official he launched his presidential exploratory committee and it uh, looks like May 22nd, he's going to make it official that he will be declaring his candidacy for the president of the United States. He's been raising money. He's been doing events. He's gone to Iowa, New Hampshire, traveling South Carolina as well, his home state, uh, battling it out there with Nikki Haley. He's got a great team around him. Full disclosure, not only has Scott a friend, but a number of the top people in his campaign team are friends of mine, and he's just a good dude. Now, there are those Partisans of others say, oh, we can't have a crowded field. It's going to help Donald Trump. Yep, that's true. But everybody gets to make their case, including Tim Scott. Uh, And he's got a case to make. The happy warrior, the guy who believes in the country, he's not out uh, surrendering on the culture war, but wants to fight as the happy warrior and laugh at the nonsense and make the case. I just genuinely like the guy, and I'm honored he's going to be with us uh, at the gathering in August. His team has confirmed Senator Tim Scott will be with us uh, along with Brian Kemp. We've invited all the major presidential candidates there. Uh, Look forward to talking to Tim Scott on stage uh, about his vision for the country. That will be in August. Now, I got to tell you about uh, I'm trying to get the uh, CFO of Patriot Mobile to the gathering as well to talk about the uh rage rage against patriot mobile from the left for being so successful they are successful because you have taken your business to patriot mobile their cell phone company they give you guaranteed great service they use the same cell towers everybody else uses and then they take a portion of their profits and contribute to the causes you care about from the second amendment To the pro-life movement, Patriot Mobile helps them all, and they find good conservative parents to run against woke school board members around the country, taking back school boards with the help of Patriot Mobile. All you got to do is take your business to them. You go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, or you call them 972-PATRIOT. You get 100% U.S.-based customer service. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. If you don't believe me about their coverage, just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Put in your home address, and they will show you a great map all the way down to your home, showing you how good the 5G, the data, the voice coverage is. They've got great coverage everywhere. Again, they use the same cell towers everybody else uses. So you go to patriotmobile.com eric or 972patriot. You move your cell service to them. They will even take your existing phone number. So you don't even have to get a new one unless you want it at patriotmobile.com slash eric. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me today. We of course need to talk about the story that has gotten all sorts of people percolating. Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, the Wall Street Journal of all the places has done this. Now, if you subscribe to my daily email, which you can subscribe to by texting data to 33777, you would get the information about Jeffrey Epstein's contacts. Um, Very, very interesting. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was way more connected to people than first thought. Uh, I mean, we knew he was connected, but now we have the names. I have mentioned over the course of the last several years uh, the curious case of Jeffrey Epstein and those people he was connected with and how the media has run very few stories on them. Uh, I have been told directly by certain reporters who worked the Jeffrey Epstein beat. The reason they have not reported is multifaceted. One, uh, many of the victims signed non disclosure agreements and therefore uh, could not speak, they received large sums of money to buy their silence. Another is that many of those who were connected to Jeffrey Epstein are extremely powerful and wealthy and have threatened lawsuits that would tie up and potentially bankrupt news organizations if they got details wrong. They're private individuals, and so the malice standard is less in some cases. But we have more information, and kudos to the Wall Street Journal, and especially David uh, Benoit, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, B-E-N-O-I-T, Uh, Bennett, maybe he has covered the Jeffrey Epstein beat for some time and made some of the major revelations. Uh, This is from the Wall Street Journal, the nation's spy chief, a longtime college president and top woman in finance. The circle of people who associated with Jeffrey Epstein years after he was a convicted sex offender is wider than previously reported, according to a trove of documents that include his schedules. William Burns, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency since 2021, had three meetings scheduled with Epstein in 2014 when he was deputy secretary of state, the documents show. They first met in Washington, and then Mr. Burns visited Epstein's townhome in Manhattan. Kathleen Catherine Rumler, a White House counsel under President Barack Obama had dozens of meetings with Epstein in the years after her White House service and before she became a top lawyer at Goldman Sachs in 2020. He also planned for her to join a 2015 trip to Paris and a 2017 visit to Epstein's private island in the Caribbean. Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, invited Epstein, who brought a group of young female guests to the campus. Noam Chomsky, yes, Chomsky. A professor, author, and political activist was scheduled to fly with Epstein to have dinner at Epstein's Manhattan townhouse in 2015. None of their names appear in Epstein's now public black book of contacts or in the public flight logs of passengers who traveled on his private jet. The documents show that Epstein arranged multiple meetings with each of them, after he had served jail time in 2008 for a sex crime involving a teenage girl and was registered as a sex offender. The documents, which include thousands of pages of emails and schedules from 2013 to 2017, haven't been previously reported. The documents do not reveal the purpose of most of the meetings. The Wall Street Journal couldn't verify whether every scheduled meeting took place. Most of those people told the journal they visited Epstein for reasons related to his wealth and connections. Several said they thought he had served his time and had rehabilitated himself. Mr. Botstein said he was trying to get Epstein to donate to his school. Really? You want a convicted sex offender to donate to your school? Mr. Chomsky said he and Epstein discussed politics and academic topics. Mr. Burns, the CIA director, met with Epstein about a decade ago as he was preparing to leave government. The director did not know anything about him other than he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and offered general advice on transition to the private sector. They had no relationship. Ms. Rimmler had a professional relationship with Epstein in connection with her role at the law firm Lathan & Watkins LLP and didn't travel with him. A Goldman Sachs spokesman said Epstein introduced her to potential legal clients, such as Bill Gates of Microsoft. I regret ever knowing Jeffrey Epstein, Ms. Rumler said. A spokesman for Latham & Watkins said Epstein was not a client of the firm. Curious wording there between them. Now, here's the thing about Epstein we now know. And this is from the reporters who covered Epstein, that Epstein was almost always in the accompaniment of young women who were clearly young, minors. In 2016, Epstein was publicly accused of sexually abusing girls in Florida who were as young as 14. The FBI and police investigated, and Epstein reached a deal in 2008. He avoided federal charges and pleaded guilty to soliciting a minor for prostitution and registered as a sex offender and served 13 months in a work release program. And yet, the contacts with all sorts of very wealthy people continued. Despite all the negative press, his days were filled from mornings to nights with meetings with prominent people. Dinners at New York restaurants, meetings at luxury hotels, gatherings of prominent law firms. Many appointments were held at Epstein's townhouse. Prosecutors in 2019 said the townhouses where Epstein sexually abused female victims for years, many underage, and that he paid some of them to recruit their friends to engage in sexual activity. After the Miami Herald reported that dozens of women said they were abused, Prosecutors charged Epstein in 2019 with a sex trafficking conspiracy and died that year in New York in what the city's medical examiner said was a suicide. Notice the phrasing there, in what the city's medical examiner said was a suicide. Not a suicide, but in what the medical examiner said was a suicide. Mr. Burns, career diplomat and former ambassador to Russia, had meetings with Epstein in 2014 when Burns was deputy secretary of state. A lunch was planned that August at the office of law firm Steptoe & Johnson in Washington. Epstein scheduled two evening appointments that September with Mr. Burns at his townhouse. One of the scheduled meetings, Epstein planned for his driver to take Mr. Burns to the airport. Burns recalls being introduced in Washington by a mutual friend and meeting Epstein once briefly in New York. The following month, October of 2014, Mr. Burns stepped down from his role in the State Department, to serve as president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and ran there until he was nominated by Biden to be CIA director. The documents show Epstein appeared to know some of his guests well. He asked for avocado sushi rolls to be on hand when with his meeting with Ms. Rumler. According to documents, he visited apartments she was considering buying. In 2014, Epstein knew her travel plans and told an assistant to look into her flight See if there's a first-class seat. If so, upgrade her, he said. In 2014, Epstein called Ms. Rumler within weeks of her leaving the Obama White House and planned lunch in August 2014 at his townhouse, followed by a series of meetings to introduce her to a wide circle of his acquaintances. A spokesman for Bill Gates says Epstein never worked for Bill Gates, misrepresented their relationship, and Bill Gates regrets ever meeting with him. Ms. Rumler first met Epstein when he called her to ask if she'd be interested in representing Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's funny how Bill Gates' name always comes up, followed shortly by reporters have been threatened by lawyers that if they make too many allegations, rich people will sue them and some such. Gates' name has just come up quite a bit, and we now know his ex-wife said that she was unhappy with his connections to Epstein. Epstein and his staff discussed whether Ms. Rumler, now 52, would be uncomfortable in the presence of young women who worked as assistants and staff at the townhouse. Women emailed Epstein on two occasions to ask if they should avoid the home while Ms. Rumler was there. Epstein told one of the women he didn't want her around and another that it wasn't a problem. Rumler didn't see anything that would lead her to be concerned at the townhouse and didn't express any concerns, according to a spokeswoman for, spokesman from Goldman Sachs. Several people who visited Epstein during the time period said they noticed young women in a townhouse. One of the visitors, Helen Fisher, an anthropologist who studied romantic love and attachment, had lunch with Epstein in 2016. Fisher said after the lunch, Epstein invited her to speak with the staff and then in filed, I would say, six young women, all of them good looking, all of them young. Dr. Fisher said Epstein never funded her work. They weren't friends and they didn't stay in touch. It's funny how none of these people have any context. They all regret it. It's all just very funny how how there's just random context. Oh, we didn't really know him. We just dined with him regularly or went to his townhouse and talked to his staff or just, it's all weird, isn't it? All of the implications. There's a whole lot of, of paragraphs spent on Ms. Rumler. It's just creepy, isn't it? It's almost as if there are implications. It's almost as if the reporters are trying to suggest other things with about different people. And, and you know, more and more what we know is that um, Epstein was not as wealthy as he claimed, Epstein was not as financial genius as people said he was. But what Epstein was very good at doing was trafficking young women. It's just remarkable. MIT said lawyers investigating its ties to Epstein didn't find that Noam Chomsky met with Epstein on its campus or received funding from him. Harvard declined to comment beyond its report from 2020. Mr. Botstein The president of Bard College since 75 had two dozen meetings scheduled with Epstein over four years, mostly to his townhouse. I was an unsuccessful fundraiser and actually the object of a little bit of sadism on his part in dangling philanthropic support, said Mr. Botstein. That was my relationship with him. We looked him up. He was a convicted felon for a sex crime. We believe in rehabilitation. It's just, these are interesting stories of prominent people who knew he was a, convicted of sex crimes and continued to deal with him. Maybe it really was all about everybody just wanted access to someone who was wealthy and maybe he'd give money. Maybe it's more. You're just supposed to draw your own conclusions. But what I would tell you is it's extremely notable at all that the Wall Street Journal has found this information and published a story like this. And if you're wondering why I've exerted so much, it's because it's behind a paywall, so most people won't be able to see it. At Epstein's home, Mr. Botstein was led to a dining room where they discussed classical music in other colleges. He presented himself as a billionaire, a really, really rich person. I found him odd and arrogant, and what I finally came to believe, which is why we stopped contact with him, is he was simply stringing us along. Despite all his meetings, Mr. Botstein said, Epstein never made another donation to Bard. It was a blessing in disguise that we never got any more money. It's remarkable, isn't it, how all these people regret ever knowing Jeffrey Epstein now that he's dead and has nothing else to offer just fascinating. Draw your own conclusions. Draw your own conclusions. I suggest nothing, but good for the Wall Street Journal reporting all this stuff. Now, I have a suggestion for you, a good suggestion. Save yourself some money. Avoid the headaches of technology. Use vision computer their custom-built PCs come with three years of parts and labor included and one year of managed service. That means you can have peace of mind knowing your computer's covered for every potential issue. When you purchase a new PC from Vision Computer, they'll spend time with you, figure out what you need and what you want, build you a computer that meets your needs and wants, and give you tech support at No extra cost, so you can get your printer set up, your email set up. In most cases, if there's a problem, they can even remotely connect into your computer and fix it for you. And if you have to call them, the average hold time is only 15 seconds. What sets Vision Computers apart from every single other person and group in the industry is their customer service. If you don't have a PC from Vision Computers, but you want their award-winning customer tech support, you can pay a low annual fee and get them on your side. You got to have a reliable computer. If you want to buy one for a grandparent or a parent, a senior citizen, Visions who you want to use because of their customer service. They're used to helping people no matter the problem, down to up, oh, you forgot to plug it in, they can help. Visit visioncomputers.com. Call them, 404-Compute. 404-Compute. Visit with a live human being today. Don't worry about the switchboard. Plus one, press two, plus three. Now press one, press two, plus three. Just go to Vision Computer. Talk to a live human being. 404-Compute, anywhere in the nation. They can build the computers for you. They can service your computers. They give you award-winning tech support. Thousands, of, You got all these five-star Google reviews. 30 years in business. They're known for their customer support. Don't let your computer frustrate you. Let Vision Computer take care of you. VisionComputers.com or 404 Compute. Hello there. Welcome. Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. Now I'll get to Charlie Munger. You know what Charlie Munger is? He's Warren Buffett's business partner. They've been doing this together for a very long time. He's 99 years old and wicked smart and says uh, U.S. banks are packed with bad loans that will be vulnerable as bad times come and property prices fall, he thinks there's trouble for the commercial real estate market. It's not nearly as bad as it was in 2008, but trouble happens to banking just like trouble happens everywhere else. says uh, U.S. regulators have asked banks for their best and final takeover office uh, for First Republic. And he says he's concerned that a lot of real estate isn't so good anymore. Got a lot of troubled office buildings a lot of troubled shopping centers a lot of troubled other properties there's gonna be a lot of agony out there you see it all the time the number of buildings out there that are virtually empty because companies after covid decided to send everyone home you know by the way there, there's some outside related studies out there that show that young people working in offices because so many of the offices are shut down now and they're working from home are less likely to build mentor relationships are less likely to get constructive feedback on their work and consequently are more expendable than ever because they're not going into offices i've got a friend of mine who was telling me that uh she finally realized that it was to her disadvantage to work from home the companies have allowed her company in particular has allowed her to work from home and all the other employees and she started going into the office because as she is seen more and known more and enacting more with the managers who are older and in the habit of going to the offices She's not only learning more but is probably in her mind, and I think she's probably right, less likely to be on the layoff list than the people her age who never come to the office. She's getting a leg up on that. But it is true. you know there are a lot of REITs out there and I've invested in REITs in the past. Those are uh, real estate and investment trusts. Um, you can buy them they're, they're you buy and trade them on the stock market. And I've started thinking, you know, commercial real estate, you're not doing so well right now, where I am in Atlanta, There's a major company that's actually thinking of converting a ton of office space into residential apartments, maybe dealing with the housing crisis in the process because uh, so many of these office spaces, they're not coming back. Think about all of the office space in your city or your town that are now empty. And those employees, either there aren't enough workers or the companies are outsourcing or they're working remotely. I've got an office space. Finally, I moved into an office space. Um, But I got employees who work remotely, and and some, they can come to the office if they want. They've got a space, uh, but for various reasons don't. And and I'm pretty flexible with it. I'm just glad to have an office again. But think about the people with, with tens of thousands of square feet of office space, and no workers coming to the office anymore. You're still paying rent. What do you do? You gotta get out of it. When you give up your lease, somebody's still holding the debt. What happens to those people? They go under. This is all headed our way.